UN-recognized government in Libya makes major gains in the civil war. Chile announces the shutdown of many embassies around the world. An abundance of stories from around the globe and a look into the creation of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. This is the world at large, and we are Politics 1001. <sighs> Politics 1001. Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone. My name is Josh. My name is Ian. And we are Politics 1001. Yes, we are. We are very excited to be here today. We have a lot to talk about. Let's just jump right into it. So, Josh, tell me all about what's going on in Libya right now. I hear there's a civil war, a lot of unrest. Tell me all about it. That's right, Ian. So in the Arab Spring in 2011, Muammar Gaddafi was the leader up until that exact date. And the Arab Spring, which was a revolt across the Middle East, including North Africa, the Levant, and many other countries, uh, leaders were overthrown in all these different nations. Some of them were put down, some of the revolts, and some of them were not. In Libya, this was one of the revolts that was successful. Muammar Gaddafi, which, who was later in 2011, was assassinated. And the government then proceeded to just kind of exist. There was no exact government. There still isn't today. There's two separate governments. That is what a civil war is, and it's still going on now. The people were protesting Gaddafi because of uh, low standards of living, and they considered him to be a dictator and an overall oppressive regime. Mm. So since the overthrow, the country has been embroiled in a civil war with no real stability in the country which has affected the daily lives of, of civilians, and it's common to live in the capital, Tripoli, of Libya and hear bombs and explosions from your outdoor window, which is usually not normal. And so we have fighting between the LNA, which is the, which is the militant group under General Khalifa Haftar, who is the quote-unquote rebel who leads the army, um, that is trying to overthrow the UN-supported government in Tripoli, not only supported by the UN, but also supported by Turkey, uh, led by Fayez al-Sarraj, and that's referred to as the GNA. Interesting. Yep, so about a year ago, Haftar was on the verge of taking Tripoli, and he was laying siege to the city. He said it was going to be, and I quote, the final push to take down the city, and the Libyan regime, as he considers it, and get rid of his political opponent, al-Sarraj, and you know, maybe arrest him, execute him, exile him, whatever he plans on doing. Oh boy. He's never gotten that far, so uh, we don't really know what would have actually happened. But about a year ago, General Haftar was on the verge of taking Tripoli, which is again the capital of Libya, and ending the civil war by overthrowing the government. But he was defeated in Garyan, which is a small city in the southwest of Tripoli. And after his defeat there, the country kind of just went into a stalemate with the GNA controlling Tripoli and some major places around it. Well, mm -hmm. Haftar controlled actually most of the country, uh, including some major Libyan cities. But recently, the forces of al-Saraj, about a year later after that stalemate, have been making serious gains and retaking vast swaths of territory, including major LNA holdings in northwestern Syria, which has actually scared Haftar and his allies, including, but not limited to, the UAE, Egypt, Russia, and so on. And it's it's just becoming a big mess over there. And there's foreign mercenaries on both sides coming into the country. And Turkey is backing the government in Tripoli. And obviously, as I said before, the allies of Haftar there too. And they're all, they all invested in it in the conflict to have their respective government in power. And so hmm. as of now, Egypt has proposed a ceasefire in the country before the war gets any worse. And because they're a little bit scared that El Siraj is actually going to win 
because again, he has taken some major strongholdings of the Libyan coast, which right. is a country in North Africa, um, which means all the Mediterranean holdings are now pretty much under the control of Al-Siraj, which is very threatening to Egypt because if Al-Siraj wins, then they're going to have a stable country really. Uh, un- they're going to have a stable country that is very aggressive towards Egypt on their border because again, Egypt funded the rebellion. Oh. So naturally, Egypt does not want, or the UAE, or kind of to an extent Israel, does not want the government of Al-Siraj to win the war. Interesting. So Egypt proposed a peace deal, which, um, to summarize, says that all foreign mercenaries have to leave the country, and the fighting has to stop. That's a ceasefire. That's what he's calling for. And this was promptly rejected by the GNA, which is the government of Al-Siraj again. And, well, this is because they're making significant gains, and they're starting to win the war. Which they were losing the war a year ago, and then they went to stalemate. Yeah. So they spent a lot of money on this, and now like they're actually doing very well. So, they don't want peace when they have the upper hand. Mm-hmm. They want to keep that momentum going. And right. That's kind of what's going on here. The LNA accepted this under Haftar, but naturally because they're losing, and the supporters of Egypt, UAE, Jordan, Bahrain, and Russia, all of them accepted this as well because again they all support the LNA. So it's not clear how the fighting is going to end. But it doesn't seem as though the Turkish-backed government in Tripoli will be backing down. And this war has been going on for so for so long now because, again, Haftar was established as a general in 2015. And he originally was fighting for Tripoli, but he kind of broke away as he became a political rival of Al-Siraj. Really? Yeah. That's so the country is definitely in a lot of turmoil right now. and um, For sure. Yeah. And with large oil reserves, they can definitely be a very successful nation. But right now they're just being exploited by foreign mercenaries. Especially mm-hmm. Russia is very, very uh, famous for sending Russian, the famous Russian mercenaries to go help Haftar in his siege of Tripoli a year ago. Wow. Which was very known for that. Tense situation for sure. Now, I see here, Josh, that you want to talk about Chile. Chile has done something pretty interesting, in my opinion. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so Chile has announced that it will be shutting down all the embassies around the world by the end of 2020. Five embassies around the world, not all of them, five of them. And wow. these ones include, well, they are Denmark, Syria, Romania, Algeria, and Greece. So this might see a little, seem a little random. And to yeah, an extent, it does. To an extent it is. Why but... do they want to get rid of their embassy in Denmark? Yeah. So <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds bizarre. Chile doesn't have too many embassies, um, but... Uh, according to the Chilean government, they're going to be saving approximately three to four billion pesos, which is the Chilean currency, um, in savings in not having to maintain the embassies, pay the staff, etc. Mm-hmm. And Chile wants to almost reassign their, their that's that limited money to places like Brussels and Vienna, prominent European cities, and like Brussels is the unofficial capital of the European Union. And so they would move their manpower and resources there so they'd have more influence in these places. Because places like Greece and Algeria, they are trade partners, but really not big ones. Like Greece, for example, is the 19th um, most um, trade with country in Europe from a mm-hmm. Chilean perspective. So they're really not that helpful. So right. in other words, all the, they're going to they're going to maintain their relationship, obviously, but economically they're not it doesn't seem really that worth it and they don't really think the embassies are relevant or necessary right which um is obviously a matter of opinion you can chile can do what they want with their money and their yeah embassies um but that is definitely something that's very interesting because countries usually don't revoke embassies like just like split section mm-hmm. sp- split decision like that but it was likely long in the making but they have till the end of the year to shut down 
Do you know how the other countries where they're withdrawing are reacting? So naturally, because they're pulling out, it's likely the other countries will too from Chile. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not really a guarantee because this was announced yesterday. So we don't really have the country's reactions as of now, but we will know in the future. But usually I'm really interested to see how this turns out. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, again, that the countries are actually going to cut off ties with each other uh, diplomatically. They're still going to be friends. (laughs) They're not, you know, cutting up. They're not just going to not recognize each other. Okay. Like a lot of countries do to other countries in this world. So (laughs) if you're worried about a war between Chile and Denmark, you have nothing. It could happen. You have nothing to worry about. Denmark. I was really worried, Josh. (laughs) Well, that's good because... Actually, you shouldn't be worried about that. So, anyways, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we discussed that. Uh, <laughs> other news, and so there's a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. We're going to cover a few things going on um, in an international stage. So, first of all, 671 million U.S. dollars, um, and to convert 675 million euros worth of cocaine was seized in Poland today. Wow, it's a lot of cocaine. That's a lot of cocaine. That's that's almost a, that's over half a billion dollars. So. That's pretty crazy that that much cocaine was just in Poland, just you know, chilling there. Yeah. And apparently, it was, it was chilling in pineapple pulp, from what I have read. Yeah, barrels of pineapple pulp, three mm-hmm. tons of cocaine to be exact. Wow, um, very creative method of hiding it. Yeah, because why would you check the pineapple pulp for the cocaine? Yeah, I don't think it goes well together. It was foolproof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, some people are getting arrested. Yeah. But you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. There's a lot of cocaine in Poland now. We know that. But anyway, well, it was seized, so a lot seized. less than there could have been. Yeah. Well, drug cartels, man. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, Josh, why don't you tell me about the... <laughs> there's a lot of turmoil right now in the U.S. and Canada, Yeah. which we should talk about. Um, so, yeah, there was also a, violent, uh, a semi-violent skirmish in London. But um, we're going to be focused on the U.S. and Canada because Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada, has come out and said he supports he supports this defund the police movement. It's starting to become very, very prevalent in the U.S. and Canada. You see city major cities around the U.S. actually calling for the defunding or maybe even the, the, the destruction of the police department. Um, Notably Minneapolis, Minneapolis, where this all started. Yeah, city of 30,000 people is trying to get rid of it. The city council has said that they're going to vote on it and get rid of it, but the mayor of the city has been very against that because he likes police. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there's been a big controversy over that. And a lot of people are saying defunding the police doesn't mean that they're less trained. You're just distributing the money so that everyone can have their own qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um I believe a lot of supporters want to take that money and put it into social programs, which they believe would ultimately reduce crime uh, because it's in the education system and social work. Um, And they also, again, want to spread out the money. So you kind of make more specialists. Instead of having the police memorize all these laws, you have certain people for every type of law. Mm -hmm. Um, That's interesting. Then again, that would mean that everyone overall just gets a salary cut. And this yeah. is the argument against it. This would, if people get paid less, they're naturally more prone to corruption, especially by mm-hmm. law enforcement. And overall, the police are just going to struggle a lot more to do their job when, you know, they're they have less money to go around. Right. And you've seen defunding movements going across the U.S. This hasn't just started here. Um, Bill De Blasio recently cut 1.6 billion dollars from the New York City Police Department, um, and he's gotten widespread support for that. So mm-hmm. uh, overall, in the U.S. and Canada, the police are looked at kind of is racist by a large portion of the population. And there's a lot of debate whether this is true or not, whether 
Um, mm-hmm. The country is just systemically racist against minorities, or if it's just police, some police are just jerks. And um, you see this controversy going back and forth. It's really split along political lines in the U.S. You have Democrat, Republican. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's Republican. They believe one thing. Democrat, they believe the other. It's a crazy time to be living in and a very t- important debate to be having, I think. Yeah, because cities are, in fact, burning down. You look at the pictures of Minneapolis, it's, it's very sad. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of anger going around. Yeah, people, people are angry. Um, and they are expressing the constitutional right to protest, which is fine. Um, and the riots are a little bit more controversial. But yep. naturally, every movement has some controversy involved. Yeah. So to segue, I want to talk about the Chinese-Indian tensions. Yeah, so China and India have kind of been going through a little bit of a border squabble lately. Um, some kind of, the, of a little one. Some yeah. of the Sometimes the guards kind of fight each other. Yeah. They, they, they don't like each other. Um, they're passing the line of actual control, which is abbreviated as the LAC. And they're just, there's a lot of... Um, not stability going on. No. It's not very stable. Fist fights are breaking out between guards. They're throwing yeah. stuff at each other. It's not like shooting fights, but... No, but China has recently warned that they're going to bring troops to the border if this doesn't stop. So they're uh, they're trying to make peaceful negotiations. The mm-hmm. leaders are meeting like every day to every other day and trying to discuss peace solution because they don't want to fight each other. They both have very strong armies. And according to the Chinese foreign minister, one Chinese foreign minister... The Indian army is the best in the world at fighting in high altitudes. Yeah. So, because... yeah be, to be clear, this border is in the Himalayas. Yeah. In northeast India. Yeah. And or China. North. Yeah. And the Chinese foreign ministry doesn't think their army can stand up to the India in no. that regard because the Indian troops are just more used to that terrain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moving on with China, China has also warned its students not to travel abroad in Australia over fear of discrimination and racism. Because... Oh. Um, for a few things regarding this, but Australia was very open about launching investigations into China regarding the origins of COVID-19. Uh, this is similar to um, countries in Brazil and the United States, which have also questioned the WHO in China. And Australia is kind of jumping on that. And so China has said that we're not we're going to limit our barley and beef imports from Australia because wow. they dare to insult us. And that has definitely made China angry. Wow. And yeah, the Chinese are telling their students not to go abroad over facing discrimination. And there are there are a lot of students in Australia. Australia is one of the biggest hosts of foreign Chinese students. Right. I believe in Australia, China is the number one place or location where tourists come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is definitely not good for Australia in terms of the tourism industry. But no. um, I guess it depends on if people actually listen to these warnings or not. Right. But either way, discrimination is bad on all forms um but what can you do we don't really know if that's true or not if they're going to face discrimination it seems that china is just very angry at australia for trying to launch investigations into the origins of coronavirus yeah do you think they'll act similarly to other questions who dare to question them most likely yeah because they've the tensions are very high with the u.s and it definitely has to do with the fact that the u.s is constantly calling them out and saying that china is just controlling the World Health Organization, and that China itself is evil, is an evil empire. And this is all according to the U.S. foreign ministry. And China should just not be dealt with. And they're boycotting Chinese products. They're pressuring European countries to boycott Chinese products, specifically Huawei, which mm. is a big Chinese phone company and technology. So um, definitely relations are kind of low right now. Not yeah. too good. 
between the United States and China, which are the two world superpowers as of today. Yeah. All right. So, uh, it was a lot of news. A lot of news. Yeah. I need to go back in time to a historical topic. Right before the United States and China were fighting each other. Back to, let's say, uh, the 18... 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Okay. Let's go around there. Did, did somebody say Austria hungry? Oh, yeah. I think I heard it in the corner. Oh. Yeah. Might be a mouse, but. So, Josh, tell me about the rise of the Austrian Hungarian Empire. Yeah, yeah. So, Austria Hungary was a dual monarchy, um, constitutional monarchy, in which they had a king of Austria and they had a king of Hungary ruling over the greater empire, wow. um, the other ethnic groups within the empire. And it was a constitutional monarchy, and its rise was a little bit unique in that having two different kings ruling your empire is right. not very well heard of in history. So that's what made it unique. And Austria-Hungary, upon its creation, um, uh, proceeded to join the central powers of World War One and proceeded to lose and fall apart. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, but the creation of Austria-Hungary is a little interesting because. It mostly has to do with the fact that before Austria-Hungary, it was just Austria. It was the Austrian Empire ruled firmly by the Habsburgs. And there wasn't really much Hungarian representation. And the Hungarians were the uh, second largest ethnic group in the empire after the um, ethnic Austrians, which is what created the tensions. And especially built up these tensions after the Hungarian Revolution of of 1848, in which Hungarians rose up and were trying to make a revolution for themselves. And... Mm. Um, the Habsburgs proceeded to brutally put that down, and and the Hungarians' autonomy was taken away, and they were ruled by a, a, a military dictatorship, essentially. Which, Whoa. when you rule someone with a military dictatorship, they tend not to be very happy. Hmm. <laughs> so, that was amazing. Maybe. But leading up to that, Austria would normally be able to handle this stuff, as they do very well putting down rebellions. Um, but they were not in a situation because of two major wars before that. The first one was the Austro-Sardinian War, in which the nation suffered suffered heavy casualties in land secession. And that was the bigger reason, because Sardinia teamed up with France to push back the Austrians, and uh, Austrian-Italian holdings were taken away, the Austrians took major casualties, and they lost a lot of money, which was not good for them when Prussia declared war on them. A little bit later in 1866, one year before the creation of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and this is because the Germans wanted German nationalism was flaring up, which was important to why the Hungarians rose up. But German nationalism was starting to become very, very prevalent, and they wanted to create the Greater Germany um, mm-hmm. that included the German Confederation, besides Austria. And so they went to war with Austria, and they became the dominant German power. Um, but the Austro-Hungarians took heavy casualties; over a hundred thousand soldiers were killed. Which hundred thousand soldiers dying makes you puts you in a pretty weak position, normally. And Austria yeah. was no exception to this. And so the Greater Germany was created. Austria, Austria Empire was pretty embarrassed. Their military was kind of in the ruins. A lot of their allies were just eaten up by the new German Empire, and so they were they were very prone. And they didn't really have any allies at this point, anyone mm-hmm. who would help them. And so the Hungarians looked at this and they said, "The Germans can make their own empire. Why can't we?" And so, <laughs> is they, that a direct quote? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> and so they did. They they rose up. And they demanded through Hungarian nationalism that they get representation in the empire. And the brutal military dictatorship that they were being succumbed to went away. No more of that. And so in 1867, Mm -hmm. we got the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which 
created the Kingdom of Hungary within the Austrian Empire, creating a dual monarchy, uh, was a constitutional monarchy, and Vienna, and the reason for this is because well, the Austrians just didn't have the resources to put down the Hungarians, so they decided to negotiate with them instead of brutally suppress them like they were doing for the last 20 years. Wow. Um, so, you know, if you can't brutally suppress, you got to negotiate. Yeah. And so that created the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which lasted for only 51 years, but it's, it's a very famous empire, and it's very well known today, mostly because of its contributions to World War One, and mm-hmm. it's constant string of military defeats of world war one that really stretched the german army thin because well the germans had to protect them because they were losing on all fronts um and yeah they fought alongside the germans and the ottoman empire but they lost and they got dissolved into what is now you know the modern day countries before they got eaten by hitler (laughs) but you know they they had their independence for a few years a few decades but anyways that is kind of the basic history of the creation of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The Prussian War, the Sardinian War, we'll, uh, all of those things. Those are all separate video topics. So if you have any topics you want to suggest to be covered in this podcast, please let us know. DM us on Instagram. We have our Instagram account. At Politics1001. Search that up. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't follow it, please follow it. Um, hopefully you do. But if not, you know, that's not even an option. I don't even know why I'm giving that as an option. Yeah. All right. We, so. we would just think lesser of you. Yeah, but I don't think less of you guys because I know you're following the account before you're watching this video. But anyways, <laughs> we got to cover some recent polls. That's on our Instagram account. Yeah. So again, <laughs> if you want to participate in these polls, that's enough. You can definitely go. <laughs> I know. Okay. So let's just get into these polls. We have three of them, as we do every video, and our first one is our most recent one, which is should the West militarily intervened in Hong Kong, which is an autonomous city in southern China. Um, It technically is a Chinese territory. It's being integrated through the 50-year plan, and it's supposed to be fully integrated in 2048 as a part of China. Mm -hmm. However, um, as many of you have seen on the news, people have risen up, millions of people in the city have risen up in riots, and they've been destroying things and attacking the Chinese police because they they do not want to be integrated into China. They they have things like uh, democracy, internet, and um, things that they've a lot of the group and the people there have grown up with Western ideals and uh, and overall just standards of living, and they don't want that to go away from mm-hmm. China. Um, and so they're and so as a Western city, a lot of people think that the West should help them out and protect them at least until the deal's over. Mm-hmm. Um, and so thirty nine percent of you have said yes. So yes, why why should we intervene in China? What are you thinking? Well, the argument is, is we have a lot of, or the, when I say we, I mean the West, the West has a lot of gain from keeping Hong Kong Western because we share similar ideals. So the argument is, is Hong Kong is a very small city. Can they defend against the massive country like China? So the argument is, is they need our help. Should we send troops there? And they would say... Yes, that's the right thing to do. And protect our Western allies. Yep. Yep. And when he says small city, by the way, um, in comparison to China, it's a very big city compared to any U.S. by U.S. standards. There's like 15 million people there. Relative to China. Relative to China, yeah. Just clearing that up. Yeah. Um, 61% of you have said no. Hmm. I don't know why. Why do you think, Ian? Well, a lot of people see when the West gets involved into countries, they see... 
instability. They see chaos immediately. They see imperialism and they know the history of imperialism and they go, hold on, do we really want to invade? China and Hong Kong agreed to this deal. It's fair and square. This is the law. No one is above the law. The West should know this. So it's China's. Yep, and they're also very scared of a war with China, which is also a nuclear power, mm-hmm. and they don't really think it's worth it as, well, it is a city to a lot of people, and it right. doesn't really have any significance to them. There's no point in sending um, Western li- uh, losing Western lives and bringing Western countries into the possible brink of destruction because of Hong Kong, mm-hmm. which speaks the same language as China um, and has a very similar culture in regards to, well, cultural values. And so... That, those are the main arguments for military intervention in Hong Kong by the West. Um, but anyways, the next poll is, should we be, do you support the riots in the United States? Mm. So 36% of you have said yes, that you do support the riots um, in the United States. Um, so why would you support the riots, Ian? Well, I think the people who said yes believe that racial tensions are at an all-time high right now and it's in america there's been racism since the beginning of since the founding and we had the civil rights movement in the 60s yet we still see racism today and over time anger and anger builds and these people believe that the only way to get attention to make change is through violent means, whether that be looting, um, destroying things. Ultimately, they believe that riots are the voice of uh, the unheard. Yep, and they, which is a quote from MLK. And um, they also believe that the federal government tends to blow people off if, mm-hmm. and ignore them. If they're just peacefully protesting, they don't really care. And so they're just trying to grab their attention by technically committing crimes mm-hmm. um, to show just how angry they are. Mm-hmm. And so that was 36% of you who argue that. 64% of you have said no. And why is that? Well, I believe the people who say no, they see the, these riots as violent and unhelpful. Uh, it's not good to be violent. It's not good for your message. It makes people not want to listen to you because you're destroying their property. You're destroying businesses. You're hurting people who had nothing to do with the original act which was george floyd's death uh they see it as a violation of the law and against the first amendment right to peaceful protest should be treated as a crime yep and they also point to black businesses getting destroyed and looted Mm -hmm. and how that isn't really beneficial for the whole black lives matter movement yeah Um, and they also just they don't think it's fair in general to destroy things because of quote-unquote racism which a lot of them do believe that the country itself is not inherently racist mm-hmm. and this systematic racism uh, thing that's going around in the, in the United States and Canada right now, they tend to blow that off and they say it's ridiculous and they don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And our last poll, is white privilege a racist concept? 50% of you guys said yes, while 50% of you guys said no in one of our most divisive polls yet. I believe the difference was by a measly three boat votes or so. Yeah, so Josh, why do you think people say yes and why do they say no? So people may argue that white privilege is a racist concept because 
well, you're saying that people have special rights depending on the race that they are. And a lot of people find this not only ridiculous, but, well, racist. And they do not believe that white people actually do have correct, uh, do actually have superior abilities to achieve things in society because of their race. And they say that even if they do, the idea of white privilege is still, in fact, racist because you're saying white people are better just because they're white, which is inherently racist in their belief. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then 50% of you said no, also. They do not think this is racist because, well, a lot of them argue that it's true and something can't be racist if it's actually true because right. racism against people in the past is usually based on incorrect stereotypes. And in this case, they believe white privilege is real. And so, well, of course, it's not, of course, it's not racist because, well, it's just the truth. Mm-hmm. And so white people can get away with certain things um, that black people can't. And because of that, they say, no, it's not racist. We just need to address this issue. We actually need to stop acting like it doesn't exist and denying this very serious problem in Western and global society in general. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that, that is the main argument for both sides. And with that, we can conclude our podcast. Yep. So thank you for listening. Feel free to subscribe on YouTube. Feel Leave free. A like. Do it. Leave a like. Um, do again, it. follow us on Instagram. Do it. Do whatever you want. Do it. Send us an email. Just mm-hmm. do whatever you do feel it. is best. Yeah. Thank you for those contributions, Ian. And with that, we're going to wrap up. You guys have a great day. We are Politics 1001, and this was a blast. Bye. See you later.